Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, we're going to be talking about Alzheimer's and the struggle that's involved with that. November is National Alzheimer's Month, and today I am joined by author, blogger, speaker, and Alzheimer's expert, Carlin Maddox, and he's going to be talking about his struggles that him and his family went through with his wife being diagnosed with Alzheimer's and how art helped her. So, Carlin, thank you so much for joining me today. Curtis, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? The, you say I'm an expert. I'm only an expert because of uh, what we went through as a family and dealing uh, with Alzheimer's. I am not a scientist by any means, but my wife, we live in St. Petersburg, Florida. My wife was diagnosed at an early age, at age 50, three weeks after she turned 50, uh, with early onset Alzheimer's. I was 52, and our three kids, one was still in high school and two were still in college. And uh, we lived with Alzheimer's. I was the primary caregiver. We lived with Alzheimer's for 17 years. Martha died in 2014. And so it it was a long haul. And uh, a lot of anybody who's going through this or going through any kind of serious crisis, there is just, there is no formula. There is no book that can tell you exactly what to expect. It just, there is filled with surprises. Um, but when we got the word on this in September of 1997, that she was uh, at early onset Alzheimer's, our world was not turned upside down. It just imploded before us. It was like we were up in a plane 10,000 feet up and then had to jump out without a parachute and we had nobody to hold on to but ourselves and nothing to hold on to but ourselves. And it was just um, a very shocking kind of thing to get into finding out of what, what it is when I don't remember that I even had heard of Alzheimer's when Martha was diagnosed before she was diagnosed with this. Martha was a very energetic person, very confident person, uh, sort of a kick-ass girl. She, she had been involved in politics, had been on the St. Petersburg City Council for six years in the 1980s. And the year before she was diagnosed, uh, she had run for an open seat in the Florida State Legislature. And in hindsight, thankfully, she lost that by 20 votes. Uh, so... Uh, that gives a real brief kind of description. Uh, we can get into more detail, Curtis, as we go forward here. But it's just a long haul. I guess I just would add this, that uh, based on my experience, some people have called, well, th- this was a hard journey, Carlin. And I, I would tell them the word journey is just too tame and too planned what we went through. What we experienced, I would call it a, an odyssey of the hardest order out of the classical sense where you one day you wake up in a foreign land, you're lost, you're confused, and you're hurt. 
And all I wanted to do and Martha wanted to do was to get back home. And we tried anything. I read, I read scores of books trying to figure out a way to get out of this thing. And uh, then we finally worked back into sort of a comfortable place that I would call home. But I would tell you that when we did get home, I was not the same person as when I left. And uh, home is not, was not the same place as when we left. So that, that gives you just a quick overview, Curtis. Well, for those who might not be aware of this disease, explain to people what Alzheimer's is and what it's about and, and any information that you might have about it. Okay. Alzheimer's is a form of dementia. It was discovered back in the early 1900s by a Dr. Aloy Alzheimer. Thus, he had his name attached to this disease. It really did not become prominently known until, I would tell you, the early 2000s. When when Martha was diagnosed in 1997, uh, I look back on that period as being the dark ages. But uh, in our case, with Martha, she ultimately lost her ability to talk. Her memory became non-existent. She lost the ability to take care of herself and to feed herself. And there were many times that she did not recognize me or recognize our children. But then there were sort of wondrous times when her eyes just opened and recognized who we were. So in terms of the magnitude of this thing, there are about six and a half million people uh, in the United States who have been diagnosed with this. The speculation is that there are a lot more than that, but they just haven't gone in for a diagnosis. The, if, you, if you add the volunteer family caregivers in with the, those six and a half million who, who have Alzheimer's, if it were a state in this country, it would be the fourth or fifth largest state in the United States behind California, Texas, Florida, and New York. So it's, it's a massive kind of and ever-growing kind of a disease. A lot of people think, it, well, it's just an old person's disease. Well, in Martha's case, I, certainly the age I am now in the mid-70s, 50, doesn't, does not look old. But early onset is described as being anyone getting this disease under the age of 65. And the... As far as the number of people with early onset Alzheimer's, out of that six and a half million people with Alzheimer's, probably three to 400,000 are, are younger than 65 years old. So that gives, you a, that gives you a quick snapshot of just the magnitude and the seriousness of this disease. Uh, they've been trying to find a cure for this ever since uh, we got the diagnosis and before. They still have not found a cure. They are hopeful that today there's some hope that uh, they're coming up with with a medicine that may delay the onset of the symptoms, but still would not be a cure uh, for the disease itself. Um, A lot of families are just getting hit with this, getting hurt by this. And it's just a very stressful, strenuous kind of thing to go through. 
So what's the ratio? Is there a ratio from women to men for this disease? Do yeah, it, it's about 60 to 40 women to men, or maybe 65, 35 on that order. Yeah. Okay. Well, give people some tips if they might have a friend or a family member that, that's suffering with Alzheimer's. If they're, you mean if they are caregivers for somebody, for some somebody in the family, Absol- is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Well, I, what worked for me and what didn't work for me may or may not work for somebody else, Curtis. Uh, the the first the first thing I would tell you when when we got diagnosed, Martha got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. We went. Uh, we got home and we had a long, hard cry. And the first thing Martha said was, I do not want to tell a soul. I don't want to tell our children. I don't want to tell my parents. I don't want to tell my brothers. And I certainly don't want to tell our friends. But most of those folks already knew something was going on with Martha. They just did not know what. And that was sort of a sort of put me in a hard place to be able to try to get help from people. But there was one man that Martha was willing to talk with, and that was a retired minister who had married us back in the day and who was, had been good friends with Martha before we got married, and his name was Lacey. And so we invited Lacey over. He came the next day after we called, and, um, and so Lacey, Lacey came, and we shared with him, and he just he broke down crying as well. But after he collected himself, he said, Carla and Martha, you may, I would like to suggest to you that you go to, up to Kentucky to visit with a good friend of mine, Sister Elaine, with the Sisters of Loretta community, a Catholic community there in Kentucky. She is the retreat director, and she has the best gift of discernment of anybody I've ever seen, I've ever come across. Uh, I have sent a number of folks to visit with her who have been in one crisis or another, and they've all benefited one way or another. I don't know how you benefit, but I think it would be meaningful for you to do that. So, so we did go up there, and that was three weeks after her diagnosis, and and visited with Sister Elaine, and that was just a very restful time for us, a time just to ch- talk with each other and and just just sort of collect ourselves because we just, we didn't know where to turn. One of the things that sister, so that, that is one point. If a person can find a mentor to help guide them, and that mentor may be in a support group. I could not find a support group at the time that when Martha was diagnosed, there weren't many around, if any. Um, but so sister, well, Lacey one was a mentor and sister Elaine was a mentor. Uh, one of the things she shared with us was as we were leaving, said, you might want to, you might want to check out meditation. And I had, I'd never meditated. I am, my faith is Christian tradition and is Presbyterian by tradition. And so was Martha. And that just wasn't in the, wasn't in the, uh, cards as far as what we've experienced, uh, but we did check that out. And um, so we began to meditate together about 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening. And I would go off to work after that, after the morning time. And, and I would hold Martha's hand and would quietly repeat the word that uh, 
that we had chosen to use. And, and over time, and I don't, I can't remember how long, but over time, I felt Martha's anxiety level just really come down. And, and my anxiety level began to come down as well. One, because Martha's was, but also the meditation was a practice that was helping me. I guess a, another thing that I would just share is during the course of this odyssey, this 17-year odyssey, another mentor that we came across, and I don't, I don't quite know how these mentors showed up. Uh, and so if, if you find somebody like that, just latch on to them and draw from them and see what they can offer you. Uh, but anyway, another mentor shared with me, as I guess this was four or five years into this, and, and he said, Carlin, be gentle on yourself. Be gentle. And I'm a perfectionist by nature. And if we didn't get this thing right, then I just, I just beat myself up. If I didn't resolve an issue with Martha during the course of this time, I, I would. I would beat myself up. And I had to learn to if you will, forgive myself and be gentle on myself, as well as be gentle with Martha. In the course of doing that, I learned that uh, I learned that no longer was Martha operating in the same world that I was. She and I learned I had to learn to step into her world and I had to stop correcting her if she was making incorrect statements. If she was not, um, if she, if that be a while to do, um, but if you can short, if you can short circuit, if a, if a person, if a caregiver can short circuit the fact that uh, you can handle this on your own and you're the only one responsible for dealing, working with your spouse, then you you will save yourself an awful lot of stress. It almost, it almost took me down until I learned. I mean, it was a stupid notion on my part that I was smart enough and big enough and that I could just handle all this on my own. Just I've learned all the way through the process. I could just tap people and call on people, one capacity or another, just for help if they were willing, willing to do that. Uh, as, a, as we went through this, this odyssey, one of the first things I learned was that a, a crisis like this, Curtis, is not just a physical disease, not just a mental disease. There are emotional issues and spiritual issues that are wrapped up in this thing that not only relate to the moment that we're going through it, but coming out of our childhoods and whatever. And, and Martha had to, Martha felt like she needed to forgive some her parents on some things. And I felt like the same thing with my parents. And um, so, yeah, there's just a lot of things. As, as I say, I'm sharing these. This is our story. But this is not a formula by which another caregiver would do theirs. But maybe you can pick up from our story just points that would, would be of value and of help. Just a, just a very small thing that I, it was too late for me when I heard, heard about this. When we were out in public, uh, sometimes Martha would do some things that were 
quite embarrassing to me. And I didn't quite know how to just sort of some just sort of shrug my shoulders and we would move on. I came across this idea that this this person had developed a little business size size card that said on it, my my wife has Alzheimer's disease. Thank you for your understanding and whatever else he said on it. And he and whenever he would come across a an embarrassing situation like that. He had the card handy, and he would just hand it to that person, and that changed just the whole dynamic. I mean, that person then understood what was going on. I mean, his, his wife had put that person in an awkward position, and then he understood, and it relaxed the whole, whole situation. I wish I had found something like that at the time. So th- those are a handful of tips, Curtis, and we can get back to some more as the conversation proceeds on this if you'd like to. That's um, why I, I decided to have you on the show to help people who might be going through the same struggles that you did. Tell people about how art helped your wife during her Alzheimer's. Uh, well, there's another thing I would add. You can see it, not just audio only. Behind me is a picture that my wife painted about four years after she had was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And I call that her self-portrait. Martha had never painted before. And, and she was not an inside girl where she would sit st- still and write poetry or paint or anything like that. She loved to dance. She loved to sing. She loved to play tennis. She loved to talk smack with her friends. And, um, but our, our sister-in-law, Keke, our sister-in-law, Keke, came to Martha one time and said, Martha, I'm in a watercolor painting class. Would you like to join me? And Martha and they and KK were good friends. And Martha just took, took hold of the idea real quick. And, uh, and she really got into the watercolor. And bef- before then and after the diagnosis, Martha's confidence, and she was a very confident person, Martha's confidence um, just went through the floor uh, and disappeared. But as she got into this painting, her confidence began to bloom again and come back around. And I loved it when she began to start bossing me around and saying, I need this and I need that. And, uh, and that was just, that was a cool thing. And that went on for about two and a half to three years. And, I, and since, since that time, I've seen and read about other, other people who, uh, painting has been very helpful to them. Uh, dancing has been very helpful. Music has been very helpful. So if your spouse is uh, has any kind of inclination like this, well, as I told you, Martha did not have an inclination like this. You just never know. Uh, so you, you can try something like that to see if that would help occupy her time and mind and and do something that was really quite wonderful. Martha's art teacher told me at some point, said, Carla, I don't know where this coloration is coming from. Uh, says, I cannot teach this. It's coming from somewhere deep. And Martha was always a very colorful person. So I guess that was what was coming out in these paintings that she did. So that was, that was a significant time for us during this, during this period. Yes. Well, Give some strategies for people who might have to deal with somebody that has Alzheimer's, but they they might 
after work as well. You know, they might be running a business or they might have a regular job. Give some strategies for that. Yep. Uh, well, I, I had I had my own magazine here in the Tampa Bay area, business magazine. And so I couldn't be here 24-7. And for the first year or two, I felt comfortable with letting Martha with letting Martha be on her own. And but in terms of the our our, our magazine was uh, uh, profitable enough that I would I was able to afford a uh, a caregiver when Martha needed to uh, needed a caregiver to come in during the day. I, we were fortunate enough to be able to afford one. Not everybody can do that. I understand, but we were fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um, uh, it's interesting, another story relating to our sister-in-law, KK, when I was trying to get someone to come in and be a caregiver with Martha for the day, uh, she, um, the, the few, I brought in two or three women, and, uh, and she just refused to even talk to them. She didn't know them. They were strangers and whatever else. And so KK and I put our heads together, and she came up with this idea. And so the next person that I had in line to try to be a caregiver, KK called up Martha and said, Martha, I've got a friend, Tricia, that we'd like to come over and have lunch and do some things together. And so she brought this caregiver, uh, Tricia, uh, over f- for lunch and spent, they spent three or four hours together probably and having lunch and having fun with each other. And, and then KK did that one more time. And then after that, Tricia was Martha's friend. And so Tricia then could be with Martha by herself and take care of Martha. But we had to get over, over that kind of hurdle. And so you're going to, you need to tap people, other people's ideas. Today, I would tell you that there are a lot more support groups uh, that, uh, in relation to Alzheimer's than there were when we, Martha was diagnosed. And you need to find one that you're comfortable with, not just anyone. Find one that you're comfortable with. And these these folks have their own ideas about what worked for them and and talk out with you and help you sort sort through things. That would be just that would be very important to do to have other people to talk with. Uh, another strategy would be to just I know that uh, Martha's we live in the same town as Martha's parents. And her mother would come by and, and sit with Martha at times. And that was, that was, that worked out good and was very helpful. A couple of Martha's friends would come in and, and, uh, and, and take her out to lunch or take her walking or take her, take, give Tricia or give me a break for, for two or three hours. And, and wherever you can, wherever you can get a break and just de-stress it is just, it's very important, Curtis. The, the stress factor can just build up on you and without you even knowing it. And until you sort of blow up and, and uh, you say, well, where'd that come from? But uh, yeah, there's, there are a lot of good. The other thing I would tell you to do is, unlike when we were diagnosed, when Martha was diagnosed, there are a lot of good caregiver guidebooks out there. Uh, and you can go to Amazon and and look at look at look for them. 
There was one back in 1997, which is sort of the granddaddy of guidebooks called The 36-Hour Day, and it had been updated through the years, I understand. So that may be, that may be worthwhile. Uh, in terms of just share with you that I did write a book about our experience after Martha died in, in 2014. But I, my, our book, which is called A Path Revealed, how hope, love, and joy found us in deep and amazed called Alzheimer's. That is not a caregiver. That's not a guidebook. Alzheimer's is the context. The, it, is a, um, it is a book of what we went through, the emotional and, and the spiritual. And, but there, there are things that you see that I write about in my book that were things I learned. But it's, it's not just a typical kind of guidebook, but a lot of people have found this to be very beneficial, the book. It can be found on Amazon, uh, and it could be found under the title name of Patrick Field or under my name, Carlin Maddox, which is spelled C-A-R-L-E-N, Maddox, M-A-D-D-U-X. But I'm not here to sell this book. I'm just offering it. That, that is our story, and it's very important to share stories with each other. And that's what you can do in support groups. That's what you can do with your friends. And so that's, that's just critical to try to uh, be able to compare stories, whether it's somebody close to you or whether it's reading, reading a book like ours or reading a, a guidebook. Uh, that's it's important to do your, as much research as you can and to find what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And just uh, just not to give up because it's very easy to give up through the course of course of time here. Well, do you have any current upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about? Uh, not upcoming. I've I've been writing a blog, Curtis. My website is carlinmaddox.com and been doing that since 2015. So if anybody's interested, there's no charge on that. They can get on there and they, when you, when you sign up for it, you get a, a link to the archive of what archives of what we've written, what I've written. And it's not, not just about our story, but I've also interviewed other people with uh, Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia and how they're dealing with it and how they're working, the, working their way through it. So they might find some good help there on, uh, on my blog. Carlin, my website, carlinmaddox.com. Yeah. Okay, we'll close this out with some final thoughts. I've got a final question for you. And any final thoughts that you might have? How can caregivers minimize conflict with the person that they're caring for? Close this out with that and any other thoughts that you might have? Uh, There's several ways. One, I mentioned earlier, realize that your, your loved one is not in the same world as you are anymore. And that your loved one is um, just not operating on the same wavelength. I also mentioned earlier about um, meditation. When Martha went into a nursing home in 2008, about a decade after she was diagnosed. And when I would visit in the nursing home, um, a lot of times, Martha would be curled up in her chair or in her bed in a 
just just all curled up with her arm behind her and just anxiety exuding from her. And what I did in those in those moments was sit down beside her and slip my hand into hers and uh, begin to repeat the word that we had shared with each other earlier in this odyssey. And there were many times, Curtis, that Martha's body would just unfurl, unfold, and she either would go to sleep or she would look out the window or look at me. But there was just peace that began to settle over her and me in that room that's inexplicable and did not happen all the time. That was just important to sort of defuse the anxiety for whatever was causing the anxiety. And um, uh, there's another thing that helped in terms of minimize the conflict was the greatest gift that I received during our uh, time with Alzheimer's came from our children. When our two children returned home from college, graduated and returned home, uh, they came to me one day and they said, Daddy, we would like to give you a weekend, a month off. A weekend, a month off. That was a phenomenal kind of gift. And I would use that time to, more times than not, go up to a, nearby to a um, monastery where I could just be quiet or I could go out into the orange groves and vent to the orange trees or go walking, jogging, talk with the brothers up there, laugh with them, pray, cry, whatever, and not not have to worry about whether Martha was being taken care of. And that certainly helped keep me defused. And I think Martha really enjoyed having the kids there on, on an occasional basis rather than just have me all the time. So that, that's just another thing in terms of, I would, I would say that when you talk about reduce the conflict, what you're saying is how do, you, how do I as a caregiver de-stress and how do I help my spouse, my loved one, her stress level come down? And you might find yourself agreeing with your loved one who makes, is making some outlandish statements, but Rather than trying to argue them out of that position, many times I found myself just agreeing with Martha. Yeah, that, that, that seemed to be right, Martha, and then and just change the subject. And we got off of that and didn't, did, not try to, did not try to get into a situation, I'm right and you're wrong. Uh, that's just that's vital in, the, in this kind of a disease. Ladies and gentlemen, carlinmaddox.com. Be sure to check it out. If you know of anybody who is a caregiver for somebody with Alzheimer's or somebody that's struggling with Alzheimer's, please be sure to follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible. We have a large population of people that are suffering from Alzheimer's. And thank you, Carlin, for joining us and sharing your expertise and maybe saying something that, that will help somebody get through another day. Curtis, thank you very much. It's been a great opportunity to be with you and, and, and your audience. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.